Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 12, issue 576, and today we're going to be talking about Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, which is the, um, maybe 6th Castlevania game, or 7th if you include Vampire Killer on the MSX, and I think this might be our 6th Castlevania podcast. We've been all around the houses to get to this point, but there's plenty more to come, hopefully. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. John Salmon. Hello. And Leah Haydu. It's my whip nice. noise. Eight Thank bit. She's, Thank you. She's, yes. she's got eight bit in her soul. <laughs> what is Castlevania 2, if you don't know by now? It's a horror-themed 2D action platform game. This is a sequel, obviously, for the Game Boy. However, other than being a 2D 8-bit Castlevania game, which is a fairly big part of it, Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge, the Game Boy game, is unrelated to Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest on the Famicom and NES in terms of story and gameplay. Although saying that, it's not really unrelated, is it? I mean, it's quite closely related. It's just not. It's it's just there are two games called Castlevania 2 and (laughs) they're both 8-bit and they're not exactly the same. That's for clarity's sake. Um, but yes, the naming conventions, such as they are, caused issues. Now, what are our histories with the game? Uh, Leah, you were a Game Boy gal, if I recall. But I was. Was Castlevania 2 part of your, 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 your nascent library back in the day? It was not. Uh, no. So I actually had not played Castlevania 2 until uh, very recently. I finished it last mm-hmm. night. Um, and I, I did abuse save states quite a bit. Um, yeah. Well, actually, you know what? Not that much, um, because as as I'll mention here, it is, I didn't find it to be that difficult up until mm. like the very end. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. yeah, so I was not on the Castlevania Adventure show, so I had not actually played that either. And on the compilation that was released for, like, everything, I think, um, that has basically the first three NES Castlevania games, plus a a few other things, like those, the Game Boy titles and um, Kid Dracula, which I also played a a couple levels of last night. Yeah, and the SNES and the Mega Drive. Yeah. Yeah, As well. So um, I have that compilation, and I've, I've picked at it here and there. So I decided that I wanted to play Castlevania The Adventure so I could have that background before going into Castlevania 2. Um, and I mean, Castlevania, the adventure is kind of tough to play. So, uh, as you may know, um, but I got through it and went into play Castlevania two. And I'm kind of glad that I did play the adventure first because it, it gave me a little bit of a, um, I don't know, baseline maybe, and it, it helps me to appreciate some of the things that Castlevania 2 does that Castlevania the Adventure did not, mm-hmm. uh, or improved upon, which, you know, obviously we will get yeah. into, but um, that's really the extent of my history with it, is that I played the first one, and then I played this one, both on the PlayStation version of the compilation. Cool, cool. Brian, what about you? Yeah, so Childhood? I... Uh, Castlevania the Adventure was part of my childhood. I had not played this game until three or four weeks ago. Awesome. Um, so I had seen some uh, YouTube compilations of Castlevania stuff, and particularly when it, in regards to the history of Castlevania music, and which is pretty funny because um, this Castlevania the Adventure almost doesn't get brought up at all in the history of the music, and but uh, mm. Castlevania Two Belmont's Revenge gets brought up quite a bit. Um, 
uh, when people talk about the, the musical track. So I had like a fringe kind of familiarity with it, but had never played it. So um, I played the heck out of Castlevania Adventure, which I talked about on our recording for that. Um, so I had the uh, the anniversary collection. Uh, so I've played it on that, and I also played it on emulation a couple times too. Um, and I am currently in the market for a cart because this is one that I think I'd like to have. Um, oh, nice. on the original hardware at some point. But yeah, I played it through maybe three or four times over the last couple of weeks. Um, oh, I have gotten so close to beating it without save states. It's it's that, <laughs> it's that literal last fight. I can get to the literal oh, last fight uh, yeah. without... Um, the second to last fight isn't great either, but I've gotten better at that one. But the last fight, I just... I'm um, hitting that, slamming that LT button to, to save and yeah, load my I'm state. So. Sure. Yeah, it's a bit so, like that. Yeah. yeah, John, how about you? Is this uh, Is this a familiar tale? Uh, no, this is another one that uh, I think I discussed on the previous Game Boy Castlevania, The Revenge show, that it felt like a game that I kind of had a weird familiarity with, and I don't know if it's just my shocking memory if I did actually play it at some point on the Game Boy when I was little. Yeah. Um, and this one kind of, it's so similar in in kind of feeling to the uh, the previous Game Boy game with I guess the main difference being that you can you can kind of choose the stages to go through, but like it really just feels like a continuation of that game. So my feelings that it felt remarkably nostalgic, and I felt with the previous one like maybe I had actually played it. I was kind of getting the same thing with this. I I don't remember actually playing it, and I think it's probably unlikely, but I don't mm. know. I mean, for for the sake of the podcast, I think realistically, I've probably just played it over the last couple of weeks again and um i haven't played it as many times as as brian mentioned i think i've gone through it twice in entirety on two different consoles because i quite like playing things like this on the switch handheld yeah um and then kind of comparing them to one of the console like proper pad tv console versions because um yeah my switch is basically entirely a handheld machine for me i don't even have it hooked up to the tv um so I, I kind of like to have the contrast between them. And yeah, uh, I cannot say that I came anywhere near close to beating this without sa- without using save states. I would have quite liked to. I think that the like the lives and the continue system seems more generous than a lot of these games normally do. Like I feel like I could have just probably mm. just kept bashing my head against it and just kept continuing and I might have got there. But you get to the point, as I'm sure we mentioned on the previous show, and I'm sure we'll mention here, it's just so much easier if you have like the more upgraded whip and you know some decent sub-weapons and stuff. So yeah. it makes it very difficult to resist the temptation to just be like, well, I'm pretty powerful now, so maybe I just save it here and then come back mm-hmm. to this point if, if I need to, instead of trying to beat the freaking boss that I was semi-stuck on each time restarting the fight and having like the worst whip and doing absolutely no damage to him mm-hmm. whereas you know you reload your save when you've got the the better weapon and you can take him down in like half the time so like it's i wish i had more time to kind of play with this sort of thing and to try to do no credit runs but i think as previously discussed on similar shows in the past it's it's like a level of commitment that i don't necessarily have the time for nowadays yeah, absolutely. Um, Isn't and, really uh, e- e- even our friend Ben has sort yeah. of acknowledged that you know it's like it's it's not really a compatible modus operandi with the cane and rinse life either. Yeah, well, that's um, also true. If you're you want playing to play so many different games, yeah, yeah, you want to play a wide variety of games. You're kind of forced to not be super super linear with your with your intentions with one thing. Like you can't. 
as much as we like to, you can't really ever cane and rinse everything. Sometimes it's no. just a case of getting through it and talking about it Very on the so. show. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think a couple of times through this on different platforms. Um, yeah. I, I will kind of discuss the, the differences between my playthroughs as we go on, because I think there's some mm. some like pertinent stuff there. But yeah, for realistically, I basically played it for the show. And yeah, I think I quite enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, I played it for the show as well. Also on the anniversary collection, which is now several years old, four years old. Uh, played it on the PS5. It's a PS4 game. Um, M2 emulation. And uh, yes, I also didn't feel the need to use save states until the last couple of bosses, really. That was where it it was either, yeah, do or die, literally run out of time or use save states to kill the final boss because it's the usual thing of having to run up, although it's a bit more generous with checkpoints than uh, than some of its predecessors and so on. But um, yeah, we'll talk about the final boss in a bit. Uh, yes, and really these Game Boy games had pretty much passed me by until I bought, bought this collection. I did have a Game Boy from the mid-90s, quite late, uh, but didn't get any of the Castlevania games. They were probably knocking around. Um, but by that point, I already had a PS1 and I had Symphony of the Night, so perhaps they weren't as appealing in some ways then as they are now to go back with this podcast in mind and kind of resample the uh, the origins of the series. So here we are, and that's what we're doing. Obviously, Konami continued to develop and publish the Castlevania games. Now, the uh, main programmer, is uh, Toru Hagihara on this one who's this was their first Castlevania game so the uh, the director of the previous Game Boy Castlevania the Adventure which hadn't reviewed so well was uh, jettisoned in favor of Hagihara-san who would go on to work on Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood uh, also in the coding department was Yukari Hayano who actually only uh, made a handful of Game Boy games, or according to Moby Games credits anyway, uh, for a, a space of about two years, they worked as a Game Boy game developer and then they were gone again. Uh, in terms of games credits, this was their only Castlevania. Uh, art is by Koichi Kimura and uh, they were one of the people who left with uh, to start up Treasure and uh, went on to be a key artistic influence on things like Dynamite Heady and Guardian Heroes and Silhouette Mirage and Bangayo and all that cool stuff. And the Castlevania, the adventure composer is one of the few names who was retained from uh, from that previous Game Boy game. Yeah, Hidehiro Funauchi also came back to work some wonders with the sound chip here, which we'll discuss, of course. The game came out on the Game Boy in July 1991 in Japan, the following month in North America, August 91. So is that 32 years ago? Pretty much. Uh, November 1992 in Europe. Yep, we had to wait well over a year for that one. Uh, and then there was a compilation release uh, in Japan, which was the Konami Game Boy Collection Volume 3. And this was part of that which came out in uh, as late as 1998. Also, there was a Game Boy Color version, but that arrived only in Europe, July 26, 2000. The Konami Game Boy Collection Volume 4, confusingly. And then there were no official releases on anything, as far as I can work out, for 19 years, basically, until that anniversary collection compiled by M2 came to, uh, together and was released on PC and PS4 and Xbox One and Switch and yes, fully works on 
Xbox Series consoles and PS5. And yeah, it's a very accessible and often highly affordable way to play. I think the RP for the compilation is maybe, can't actually remember because it's, it's a long time since I've seen it at full price. Uh, yeah, but I've it's seen frequently it... on sale for sure. Yeah. yeah and I like think, five I think the full price sales. is, yeah, like eight pounds and it's always 50% off like every other week. Yeah. Probably it's if you a shop crazy around bargain. everywhere, crazy it will be yeah, I think half I got price it for, somewhere. For four ninety nine American when yeah. I bought it like last month yeah. or whatever it was. <laughs> also, as yeah. of recording, the summer steam sale is going on. So um mm-hmm. I haven't checked it, but it's probably, probably. there. <laughs> probably. Yes. Uh and yes, there's also a Contra collection. Uh and uh and a a slightly curious mix of other Konami games that are worth seeking out as well. Reviews wise, at the time we had uh, Ace Magazine over here giving it their excellent 880 out of 1,000 score. Uh, EGM <laughs> in America gave it 32 out of 40, maybe four eights, I guess. Uh, Game Pro gave it 24 out of 25. We've got some interesting scoring systems here. Uh, Jeu Video in France, 17 out of 20. Mean Machine Sega back over in the UK, 91%. Nintendo Power, 16 out of 20. Total Magazine, also a UK magazine, 90%. And the most recent review I could find was, I'm not sure exactly why Nintendo Life reviewed this in 2009, because there was no virtual console release. Uh, This was before Game Boy games came out on the 3DS, and this wasn't one of them anyway. Uh, But yeah, they reviewed it in 2009 and gave it a 9 out of 10, which is pretty healthy. And user reviews on the same site have it at 8.3 out of 10 from over 150 folks who have registered a score. So, pretty positive. I couldn't find a single thing about sales anywhere about for this game. Uh, so, not a clue. And not even sales for the anniversary collection available. I know it doesn't really count in the same way. It but... wouldn't really count, but um, I didn't look, to be honest. Uh, but yes, I suppose you could... Yeah, no, I mean, harder to get a hold of in my experience. Just very much so. Yeah, Yeah. because the the numbers are just not as well surfaced, and also it's across a bunch of different platforms. So, eh. yeah, yeah, you you might find there's a site which we've used a couple of times, which has Steam revenue. Which Mm -hmm. so you might find the Steam revenue for the collection, but obviously that's a very kind of hazy view of what what this game sold in in cartridge form back in the day. How many little Itty, ba- uh, itty bitty grey plastic boxes of Castlevania <laughs> 2 are there in the world. I have no idea. Mr. Ixalite from our forum says, Some 25 years ago, I found myself at a summer camp organised by my school. The experience was less than ideal due to a terse relationship with my classmates at the time, but there was one silver lining. I could borrow the Game Boy games of one of the teacher's kids, one of which was Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge. This was the first game in the series I was exposed to, and it made an immediate and lasting impression with its stage selection of highly themed castles. It immediately reminded me of Mega Man, my main Game Boy obsession at the time, but far more moody and evocative. I never beat it at the time, but I was always drawn to it. Returning to it years later, the game is not just a massive improvement on its predecessor, it still holds up in its own right. In a franchise that could eventually feel like it was going through the motions in terms of locales and enemies, the four distinct castles and unique vestry, complete with rolling eyeballs, makes the game stand out. Nothing else in the series really looks like this. If I have two gripes with Belmont's Revenge, they are one, that Dracula doesn't turn into a giant monster, and two, that there wasn't more of it. 
not just in terms of stages in the game, but in terms of Castlevania games in this mould. There was ample room to iterate on the themed castles concept. After all, Bram Stoker's Dracula famously acquired a lot of real estate. But sadly, unlike something like Symphony of the Night, Belmont's Revenge remains a dead end on the franchise family tree. Still, it remains a fascinating little outlier, an excellent showcase for what the Game Boy could offer, and probably the optimal game for introducing me to the series. I don't recall a plant castle being in Bram Stoker's <laughs> novel, but I don't know. It's been a few years since I read it, so you That's never true. know. It didn't make it to Coppola's adaptation, certainly. <laughs> no, no, it did not. It could have done, though. It would have fit nicely. Uh, Keanu's accent in the plant castle. I can oh just I can dream about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film. Uh, Me too. <laughs> for, 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 for everything. Uh, yeah. Right, so uh, for those who are invested in the timeline, this game arrives uh, at part of the, the, the well, it's the, the Belmont era, which is the, so Christopher Belmont is the... <laughs> <laughs> third distinct character mm. after Leon and Trevor in terms of uh, chronology and before Simon. Right. Uh, 15 years after vanquishing the Emperor of Evil, Count Dracula, Christopher Belmont now faces a vampire swearing vengeance, Drax back, and he's turned to your son, Soleil Belmont, into a deadly demon to do his dirty deeds. Now not only do you have to rescue your kid from the Count's clutches, you have to first track him down in four creep-packed castles. Fortunately, you possess weapons like armor-piercing battle axes, beast-burning holy water, and the legendary mystic whip. And you can increase your arsenal with power-up items like crystal balls, hearts, and candles. Strap on your shield, shield, and step into the shadows. That is, if you're prepared for the Dwellers of Darkness. That's the official blurb. Uh, is anyone finding themselves so I, I did kind of think I, I knew, knew there was all this lore you look at the wiki there's as with so many games even though I've never kind of fully invested in it there's pages and pages and pages of history and lore and I love the fact that particularly Japanese developers back in the day used to invest and imbue so much detail and and uh, sort of uh, attention to um, continuity and all that stuff in in these games what I was hoping was that going back and playing the series from the start, I would start to become invested in the the saga. Uh, but but I, I would be disingenuous to say that <laughs> that has really happened. Has anyone felt the urge to sort of start seeking out the manga or the 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 expanded universe novels or whatever's out there? I mean, I think it'd be it'd be cool to see that kind of stuff, but in the same way that and you know it pains me to say this, but um, in the same way that I really don't think Zelda was thinking about it when they created their timeline, right? Um, yeah, yeah. there's there's no way that all of this was was actually planned from the get go. I mean, when they I agree. Uh, within the games, I think it's interesting to hear the the um, how it fits in and what the lore is and what the storyline behind it that they have created is. But I, I mean, Lament of Innocence was a PS2 game that came out well after this. Right. And there's no way that when they were creating 
um, you know, the the adventure in Belmont's Revenge, they were like, well, there's um, <laughs> an ancestor that we're going to go back to yeah. in however many years there were in between. And right. he's the one that really started all of this off. I mean, it's 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 retroactive and I don't think everything's that's a, bad a thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, it, it's it fits together well enough, I guess. Um, it, it's mostly well to say that it's nonsense would be a little bit dismissive but i i don't think that it should be taken as gospel that you know this is <laughs> yeah. this is how this this universe is and everything everyone's placement in it is extremely important like i mean they have a place and it's kind of impressive in one respect that they bothered to you know actually go, kind of gather it all together but uh yeah so the lo long way to say eh yeah, I, uh, he's about right. Yeah, it it's one of those things, kind of from an era gone by, is that if you you know a game is serious about its story in 1980, whatever, if you hang out on the start screen long enough and a story scroll kicks in, you know, <laughs> where it like gives you yeah, three paragraphs of text. Um, but when when I was of an age to be playing these games for the first time, I was much more concerned about just slamming the cartridge in and getting going. Um, I think particularly of the Mega Man series where I think the first one I played was Mega Man 2. I slap it in. I'm fighting these robots. And at the end, there's this, you know, like bald headed guy with Einstein hair, Einstein hair kind of flying off in the space. I'm like, oh, who's that guy? Turns out he was the robot master, the, the guy who created all the robot masters. And I learned all that afterwards. But it definitely is more of a retcon situation. And I think it's cool that it exists. And for other franchises that I am more emotionally invested in, I will go back and do that work, but I have not done that for Castlevania. Not that there I wouldn't. There is an extremely I think slow text crawl at the end of this game. I don't know if yeah, you've yeah, right. that up, but sure, wow, yeah. it, was, it was impressively yeah. lengthy. <laughs> and unfortunately, we wouldn't know how many people actually got to see that end at the time the game was out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so, not true. Yeah. Not a clue. It also, on like the anniversary collection, when you're scrolling down, there's like a text scroll on the left-hand side. And I read that this afternoon, and I swear that was different from the story that was being told at the end of the game. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe it's just sort of generic or like maybe even convoluted or sort of nonsensey enough that it, it doesn't really matter. But I could have sworn I, I read something totally different at the beginning there are of the two, story. There are two slightly different uh, localizations and, and translations and stories. Uh, there, there's there's not much difference, but it was redone for the collection edition. Um, but just oh, the one yeah. ending, though, right? Like, there are not multiple. Oh, I, I don't know how you yeah. get multiple endings out of this. But... no. I don't think so. Yeah, okay, a, a bad ending so. where you lost to Dracula would have saved me a lot of heartache. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, you know, compared to other video game franchises, like weird retcon lore and stuff, like you know, it's no Resident Evil or Kojima <laughs> game style absolute garbage, but also quite entertaining. Like you know, give Castlevania its credit; it is. It, like you can boil basically every game in this series that I've played down to you are a dude, very occasionally a lady, mostly with a whip, mostly in a castle, mostly mm -hmm. killing Dracula at the end of it. And, and all, kind the, of, all the other monsters on the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of what happens in between varies a little bit, but that is a very reductive way to kind of sure. boil down like 20 odd games and having different Belmonts who don't <laughs> shoot me if I'm wrong here, but don't, have any particular personalities or like Not that I can ascertain 
I mean, maybe in some yeah, of the maybe later a games when they actually on, talk like, and stuff. Yeah, but... when there are cutscenes and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, maybe in the uh, expanded lore. Uh, you know, I'm always conscious that because of the nature of this podcast, obviously we have our regular listeners and we love them dearly, and our supporters who kind of get where we're coming from. But I always think when we cover a series like this, we might gain some listeners who are fans of a mm. of a particular series, and then they might be coming to this to to hear their beloved. Castlevania lore taken deeply seriously and and gone down the same sort of rabbit hole as we have with other aspects of games design and and maybe some other game stories but I'm afraid yeah this probably that probably isn't going to happen stick to the wiki uh for uh, and and wherever the um the hubs of uh of community Castlevania community members are who who are thoroughly invested in all this stuff because as much as I like these games and I like them enough to try to play through as many of them as we can for the podcast and cover them in depth and detail yeah the uh, the backstory is perhaps not what any of us is uh, is really here for well what leon's trying to say is hello welcome we're glad you're here don't go away just because we don't know what we're talking about with the Lord. <laughs> that's exactly it in so many words yeah. <laughs> let's talk about those 8-bit graphics uh, so this is the second game boy game in the series we've covered i can't remember what we really said about the uh, the initial game um Obviously, people I'm sure will mostly know kind of what the limitations of the the Game Boy were. It was a monochrome system, kind of uh, by default. It was uh, pretty much green and different green, green <laughs> and other green, other green, uh, kind of black and white. If, uh, maybe if you got one of the later models, obviously there are also Game Boy Color versions, and you can access though access that color palette via the Castlevania Anniversary Collection, which is a oh, nice really? touch. I didn't even try that. Yeah, you can. It's in the yeah, screen the, filter setups. I just yeah. played the yeah. uh, the black and white version, which oh, which yeah. looks fine. It's I mean, moody. it's it's yeah. you know it's very gothic. pretty similar. Yes, to yeah. the. Uh, to, I mean, it's a a good interpretation of the Game Boy, in my opinion. So. Yeah, or maybe it's uh, yeah, it's Game Boy Color, or possibly and or what you'd get if you put it in a Super Game Boy on a Super ah, yes. Nintendo. Similar, similar thing. Anyway, uh, so yes, but um, I. Th- I, I seem to remember thinking that the the graphics in the adventure were pretty basic, and I think here there's a, there's a bit more. It, it's like, although it's a, as we know, it's a it's a different team of developers. I think it's maybe fair to say that internally Konami had got to grips with the machine a bit better in terms of working yeah. out how to display kind of detail and depth and things on this incredibly small and low resolution monochrome screen. The animations do appear to be um, so, sort of smoother in in a lot of ways. Um, mm, that yeah. that bleeds over into the gameplay as well. But but I, yeah, it 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 wasn't a huge difference, but it was a, a kind of a fine tuning that I appreciated. It's really hard to talk about the graphics in this game if you're not talking about the graphics in Castlevania: The Adventure. Because yeah. if you were just to pick up this game without having played The Adventure, you'd be like, oh, this looks like a Game Boy game, and it. Seems to be stretching like the detail you could fit onto each screen, but if you compare them one to one, this is a huge leap, in my opinion, from mm. from the adventure. The backgrounds, like mm. there were whole hallways in the adventure where you would play, it would just be you had floor and ceiling, and the background was just white or you know just nothing in the background. And here, you know, you can kind of see castles in the background or mountains, or the the walls have more textures, and they definitely were reusing things from the adventure, which I I laughed at. There was the the whole boss of wall rats in in uh the adventure when that became an entire level in 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 this one but um uh i think that it just was taking the kind of the bones of that first game and and 
adding mm. on, and I think what you said, Leon, about Good them one. coming to grips with the capabilities, the Game Boy probably had a lot to do with that because this just seemed to be incremental upgrades in every facet of the visual design, which to me created a stark contrast. But if you were just coming to it cold, having not played the inventor, you'd just be like, oh, it's a Game Boy game. You know, that's, that's yeah, sure. the way it would look. Yeah, uh, on a technical level, I think I think there's less slowdown than there was in the first game as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the uh, if the onboard cartridge had any more megabits of memory. I don't even know. I, I, we haven't really looked into what size these cartridges were, but I'm assuming pretty tiny. Um, a few uh, inches by a few inches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a technical level, there. Um, and I, uh, I suppose the the technical aspects do play in very much into the gameplay, which we'll come on to. But in the sense that you can only ever have two or three moving things on the screen, really, at any one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that the game is built is so that each of those things may cause you a problem. You're kind of lacking in space in within which to maneuver, and so generally every enemy you come across is a and in a way, this is similar to the, the 8 and 16 and beyond games in the series as well, is that it's about learning how to deal with the enemy or enemies that have just come on screen. But here it has to be so kind of honed down to like, yeah, one or two rolling eyeballs at a time or or a bat. <laughs> you have to think about exactly how you're going to deal with that thing. Uh, I So I haven't seen any speed runs of this. I, I'm no. sure they're out there. But I, I wonder if that's something that they, like, exploit. Because even playing it as I did, you learn things like the... Um, I, I don't know what they're actually supposed to be, but to me they always look like little hands that are kind of making, um, a, yeah. like, a duck, a shadow duck that, that release those, <laughs> like, sh- that, that release the, um, like, the balls that bounce around the screen and then eventually yeah. either hit you or, I know or the fly ones. off. Yeah. Um, but you can there are only ever two of those at a time only ever two of those balls like yes. they won't they won't spit out anymore if Absolutely. so i mean I, even yeah. like i said even casually playing it as i was like i would still occasionally depending on where they were situated try to keep those on the screen instead of breaking them so that they wouldn't spit any more of me while i was trying yeah. to make a jump or whatever yeah. so uh I, I wonder if that's something that speedrunners use for this game yeah i'm always interested in the not knowing nothing about the memory and how that limits the game design, but I'm always mm. interested in what what triggers the enemy to respawn. Like on those uh, sections and things, particularly um, there's a rope climbing section where there are those skeletons that come down and throw the bones at you. And each time you jump from rope to rope, you go down a little bit. Like the screen scrolls down, and as you mm. climb back up, that same skeleton comes back down. Same, <laughs> like I've killed you six times. Like um, so, obviously, it doesn't have the memory to remember you killed that enemy, but oh, no. like. It's just the way that they trigger and the way that they, um, like you said, Leon, how many enemies are on screen. It all seems to have like a like a set mathematics to it that I don't know. I don't haven't figured it out, but like clearly there's some internal process going on to being like, oh nope, this is we've got too much on screen. Wait till something else gets yeah. killed and and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah, and actually, in it's in a microcosm that is how kind of games still work in in in, yeah. in many ways. Sure, but it's just here you can really see it because you, the numbers and and the assets you're dealing with are so small and obvious. Mm. And you notice there. I mean, you talk about the enemies. I've always thought of them as snakes. The like the hand puppet things like spitting oh. at you. I don't know why they just kind of look like the top of a snake to me. Like I said I don't know what they're actually supposed to be. But it I reminded just, me like, of the little shadow the, puppet uh, duck, the alien that 
bursts out of his chest in Alien. That's what they look oh, like to yep. me. Just uh-huh. that head kind of looking around. I've opened so, I've opened the bestiary for uh, ahead of ahead of time, and I can't actually find him. Uh, you didn't look under Shadow Duck. It's not there. Maybe it's the Punaguchi or Bunaguchi. Uh, Bunaguchi. Hang on. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's him. Yeah, it's a Bunaguchi. Punaguchi, a mouldy growth, sometimes in the shape of a hand with a mouth. It, oh, spews, hey! it spews orbs diagonally, which start ricocheting off walls until they find a way to exit the screen. Hmm? There you go. Uh, I feel vindicated. <laughs> yeah, you knew. Interestingly, that's um, that's kind of a testament to the art, isn't it? The fact that we did actually pass what they were supposed to be, or at least one of us did. Um, yeah, uh, there's there's a there's a nice set of uh, you know classic Castlevania monsters. Um, I also think uh, props to the the uh, the presentation screens, the splashes front and back uh, for being evocative, simple yet effective, and the map screen. I just uh, it sort of ties into the scenario idea and the and the, the the aspect of the multiple castles that Mister Ixlight was talking about. But there's something quite inviting and exciting about a game where you get to choose where you start. One of these four biomes, as we'd call them nowadays. Uh, I like that. Yeah, and it has that kind of um, that sort of thought at the back of your head when you're starting it, like I was of are some of these easier than the others? Mm, and you start off so. in the top left corner. It's like, well, you can just press start and do whatever castle that one is, or you can move. And I kind of moved around on the first time I played it yeah. and went straight into the plant castle and kind of thought it was really difficult and mm. went back to the, you know, re- rebooted the game and, and started on the, then went to the rock castle, I think, or the stone castle. Also thought that was quite difficult because there's some really <laughs> yeah. annoying enemies on it. Yeah. Then yeah. went back and loaded up the one that you start on and just kind of went from there and it was fine. I mean, worth mentioning that also doing the plant castle and the stone castle, once I'd done the first couple, felt quite easy as well. So maybe yeah. it's just, you know, being rusty at the game. It's a flat but... difficulty curve, I think. The fact, I think it has to be because you can do any of them in order. Yeah. I think maybe there are, there are some differences, but it's more about knowing and learning the exactly what we were just talking about mm-hmm. isn't it the enemy types and their behaviors more than it's not like the fourth castle has all these like pixel perfect death defying drops really all the really tough stuff for me i think comes in the final thing that you can't yeah. even see on the first map screen which is the the dracula's castle which yeah. is separated into into two stages and we should be clear to people who haven't played this but are curious and maybe have that collection it's not like Mega Man where, dis- disappointingly in a way, I think, it isn't like you need to go to, like, or it isn't highly advisable that you complete one before the other because you get some cool weapon which makes the boss of the other castle mm, easier. Yeah. That would have been neat. Mm. But if you do finish a, a level with, like, a sub-weapon or with your whip upgraded, then that does carry over into Very your next point. castle as well. So, I mean, it yeah. it's not a guaranteed thing, um, especially if you, you know, take a lot of damage on the boss or, or whatever. But uh, yeah. it, it, it can potentially make things slightly easier. I think you're also... It's beneficial, at least for me, to play through the one that you're the most confident in first, just because you're the most likely to finish it with the not losing a life, the most time mm. and the most health left, which will all add to your score, which then can give you extra lives for the mm. ones that you might struggle with later on, too. So I would always go into, what was it, the Rock Castle? Rock Castle, um, that was the last, that was my, the one I found to be the most difficult to play through, and I would always have, you know, six or seven lives by that point, right. 
and then you know <laughs> promptly lose four of them. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that is one thing actually that the the stages might not be that difficult separately, but I feel like the bosses at the ends of them are are different difficulties. The the mage mm. thing that you fight, I think it's just on the first one. If you don't move your cursor at all, is pathetically easy. Yeah. But then there's the the big guy who's got the the big curved sword who kind of he starts off in armor and then jumps around his neck extends. I think he's in the rock castle. I found that way more difficult than the previous ones before that. We'll come back to bosses uh, and uh, our trails trials with them, uh, but we must talk about the music. Uh, this is uh, an aspect of the game. I think it was probably one of the aspects of the previous Game Boy game that we were kind of uh, most impressed by, again, bearing in mind especially the limitations. But uh, Mr. Ixalite again says, uh, the, the game has one of the best soundtracks on the Game Boy, in Mr. Ixalite's opinion, sounding like nothing else on the system or in the franchise. Much like your vampire killers and bloody tears, the tracks were fine-tuned to spur you on through the next deadly gauntlet and years later, New Messiah is still lodged in my brain. Um, yeah, I think that the music in this game slaps, and I loved it a whole lot. Um, cool. I, I looked this up because I wasn't sure of the number, but um, back in uh, when, when Sound of Play was still active, mm. uh, McKeel and I did a uh, Sound of Play special yeah. on Castlevania music. Uh, it was number 220, if you are interested in going through the archives to look that up. Very but cool. um, something that I found when we were compiling this, the, um, the track list for that was the music to Castlevania 2, uh, and I had not played the game at that point, and I hadn't really listened to any of the music unless I'd maybe heard it in a playlist or something. And I was just really impressed because I, I felt mm. like it it was they really used the sound chip of the Game Boy effectively, and it, it you know... It, it it stands up in my opinion to a lot of the console Castlevania games yeah. mm. favorably. So I uh, yeah this is this is uh, that was a big thing that I really enjoyed out of this game. Yeah, this has become over the last few weeks like that's up there with the Batman soundtrack from Game Boy. Wow, from, like mm. Game Boy soundtracks that now I have YouTube playlists favorited <laughs> of that I can just queue up at any point. I mean. That plant castle theme, um, I just, I, I just cannot get enough of. It became an instant headphone game, and uh, and it really does a good job with the sound chip, like you said, Leah. I don't know mm. how they pulled it off, but it doesn't have that annoying break in the soundtrack for enemy collision noise and like mm. attacks and stuff. Like it, it plays through. Like they figured out that problem somehow. Um, like it, it just. And, you know, for what are essentially 90 to 120 second loops that are just going like they just yeah. each yeah. one has its own worm. And just, man, I, I I can't say enough about the soundtrack. It, it really it's become it's become my favorite part of this game, which I wasn't expecting going into yeah. it. But it, it's for sure happened. I have a feeling we said the same thing about the uh, Castlevania, the adventure as well. It's kind <laughs> of a, a yeah. slightly flawed gameplay game that was probably adds another couple of points out of 10 just from the soundtrack alone like it's it's hard to argue really there's so many like truly truly iconic pieces of castlevania music that are all the way back to those early games and i think there's there's things that i catch myself humming sometimes i'm like what the heck is that and i think about it it'll be like something from castlevania 3 or something like, oh yeah fair enough uh, the only thing that i think i'm slightly disappointed about with this is i 
maybe didn't recognize it, but I could not find a rendition of Bloody Tears anywhere buried in here. I don't think there was one. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not positive, but um, no. not, I was not one that I noticed. Anyway. The whole time, um, I at least thought it might appear in the final stage or something. Um, I don't know where that's, like, the first Bloody Tears is from. It might be from Castlevania t- uh Simon's two, Quest, I think. Or... Yeah. or the the other Castlevania two. Yes, the I other think. Castlevania two, which may have actually come out after this. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it feels like that is that is clearly you know now the the franchise's kind of go to tune. So I would like to hear a Game Boy rendition of that. I can't imagine there's any further Game Boy games after this, but I'm sure you could do something lovely with a Game Boy sound chip and that piece of music. Isn't um, there a trilogy closer? I've actually lost track now at this point. <laughs> uh, I don't believe so. I don't think no. there's another. There's DS, of course. DS uh, is next. Advance. The next trilogy. Well, yes. well, Game Boy Advance is next, but uh, uh, GBA trilogy, which yeah. they did re-release, thankfully. Yeah. The mm-hmm. DS ones are uh, obviously harder to get hold of and very expensive, and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the podcast, Ooh, they're, <laughs> yes. they're valuable. Uh, I think I've got a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, The background music of the opening story briefing was extended with a new part in the international version due to the longer story text. Likewise, because the Konami Game Boy Collection Volume 4 version is based on the original Japanese release, the background music is not extended and ends, therefore, before the text finish rolling. Sad. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I would say, from my point of view, uh, really cool 8-bit sounds. I guess if you were somebody who has no love for the sound of an 8-bit sound chip that sort of uh so it's uh it's it's not it's not monophonic in terms of its stereo it, it, it is stereo but it's um it's one note at a time basically isn't it it's um non not polyphonic in that sense um and things like percussion are made out of sort of yeah white noise and interruptions and things like that so if you if you if you're one of those people that listens to eight bit music and it doesn't do anything for you, then this might not either. But in terms of what they m- managed with the with the chip, uh, and in in terms of sort of evoking reverb and depth and and bass from it is uh, is impressive in itself. And I bet uh, a lot of these tunes I, I haven't checked yet, but I'm I, I'm guessing a lot of these melodies come back in the series as it goes on, and uh, no doubt they've been both orchestrated and played by uh, electric guitarists and whatever (laughs) else, synthesizer wizards all over YouTube. In terms of the gameplay then, uh, we must start with the control and the locomotion as we tend to do. And partly because I think this was probably the single area where we felt that the previous Game Boy game fell down in that it was very stodgy very labored very slow and the game didn't really make any allowances for the fact for that fact to the point that it would essentially crush you to death if you didn't start moving at the exact right time and it could feel a bit like pulling teeth now i don't think this game is i mean it's nothing like as kind of uh fast moving and fluid as this series would become and certainly not kind of the games that we're used to playing you know modern indie games with 2D side-scrolling platforming characters. This is still very much in the deliberate mode, but to me, he felt a little, a little more uh, responsive and uh, a fleet of foot. Yeah. So playing, playing the 
other game almost immediately before this right. one, I felt a big difference in, yeah. in how he controlled. It It is... Yeah, you're right in saying that there was very little allowance for like anything. It, it, it was it was the kind of thing where, in the first game, I found myself stopping at the edges of things and like lining myself up so that I wouldn't miss a jump because you can't really do much once you're already in in the middle of a jump. And you know, it's it's it is not forgiving at all. This added. I mean, it may have been a minor addition. It may only have been like yeah, pixels that 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 added to kind of the the hit detection <clears throat> excuse me the hit detection or the um just w the allowances for where you land and and yeah. where uh other things land in relation to you um but whatever it was that they did it felt much more fair and much more intuitive than having to really consider or be familiar enough with the controls that you, that it was kind of automatic that you considered things as 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 uh, in in as much detail as the first game required. You can at least a little a little bit in this one, although it is still quite it is still quite learnable, and sequences of things tend to happen in a way that you can kind of be dictated to to an extent there's a little bit more wiggle room for self-expression player expression here that there just absolutely wasn't in the previous <laughs> game right also spikes aren't instant kills uh, i don't remember whether oh. they were in the first game or not but i thought they were or at least 50 percent of your health yeah yes uh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean they do mess you up here quite badly oh and yeah there was... no they hurt yeah <laughs> there was at least one point here where i think there's it's probably in the last section where you actually you have to ride the spike platform up and then destroy the thing in the middle. And mm -hmm. I wasn't aware that you could actually destroy them before that. I just kind of timed it. There was and... no need to before. I know exactly where you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I, same thing. Yeah. I had to stop because I I thought maybe you can just cross it before and I'd got hurt. And yeah, I thought, well, so... maybe you can cross it. And then, you know, you take a hit and then you go while you're... Um, you know, while you've got iframes, but the hit knocks you back so badly that you then Classic. get hit again when you go through it again. And <laughs> mm -hmm. like the two hits from it is enough to wipe you from full health. So it's it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, I was very glad that there weren't quite the level of horrific traps and insta kill stages and stuff here that we got in the first one. Like it does it does feel like they've um you know, they've had a bit more of like some leeway to it and there's also uh if this is the place to talk about it like i really enjoyed some of the the new additions it took me a while to realize that the spiders like you the idea is you let them kind of go down and then kill them and then they yeah. use their webs yeah. as as ropes and yeah, it's technically cool. possible to kind of screw yourself over if you kill them all when they're at the very top of the thing and you can't um you then can't go between them it took me like a couple of times to realize okay so you let them down and then you try and get them, but you try to get the one at the front, but the one in the middle is moving as well, so you don't really want to kill that one quite yet. Um, that was kind of a... I thought that was an interesting like addition to it. And the um, talking about the slowdown and stuff and the um, kind of the frame ratiness, I do remember having much more of an issue with that in the adventure, and I think there's a couple of points here where the floor is kind of... I don't know, I think there's a bit where the floor looks like it's hands rising up from it or something. And it slows you down when you're walking oh, yeah. through it. And that, to mm. me, made me think, oh, yeah, actually, when you're going through this at, like, three-quarter speed or, like, two-thirds speed and you can't really jump so well, that's the point where it felt like it was Castlevania the adventure and, like, the regular movement just felt a little bit better by comparison. So, like, I think, um, 
it's kind of hard to compare without having played them right next to each other. But I do think that this one feels and kind of there are just, I don't know, maybe maybe the um, like the the room design and stuff feels less irritating. There are less points that I thought, you know, I'd go up a rope in the previous game, and unless I immediately acted yeah, and yeah. jumped off the rope and attacked the enemy, I was definitely going to yeah. get hit by it. I don't think you could whip while you were on a rope in the first one, could you? Because you can hear and you can use sub weapons, which yeah. we haven't yeah. talked about, but. I don't yeah. think you could. I don't think you could use your whip while you were on the rope in in uh, the first that game. That sounds quite. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds possible. It was but, yeah, extremely. It was like um, you know. This people, feels like it doesn't hate you quite as much. Yeah, exactly. Right. It was like like yeah. the, the adventure kind of took the fact that Castlevania on the NES was notoriously challenging, albeit doable, and essentially took the the hard bit in the same way that you know oh i'm going to mention a from soft software game in the same way that some some games don't uh don't appreciate you know in the ways in which a game like that challenges you to be in a way such a way as to be compelling and to feel like a challenge you want to overcome whereas castlevania the adventure was just like yeah we'll make this bit so if you don't do it right you die every time you get crushed to death or spiked on a ceiling or whatever brian i'm I'm really interested because uh, you've obviously played this more than the rest of us uh, in terms of um, repeated completions does that mean that you've essentially in each time you've played it your your run has got more optimal or have you actually found that you've like improved skills or uh, you know in in terms of are you expressing yourself more as a player as you've played it more and got confident or is it just a case of knowing it better it's definitely more pattern recognition than than anything else, I think. Um, and getting knowing kind of how to manipulate the enemies a little bit, and uh, yeah. um, like there's there's several rooms now that I know that these bats or these floating, uh, uh, weirdly Metroid looking creatures, um, yeah. are not going to get close to me if I just go right by them. So I'm you know, kind of intentionally not engaging as much with the enemy. Um, but what I will say <laughs> that relates to what you guys are talking about is that. Unlike the first game, this is going to sound way harsher than it actually is. Like there are sections of this game that are legitimately fun to control and play. <laughs> like <laughs> when in that first game, like it, like as Leah said, it felt like it actively hated you at some points. Like this game seemed to just make choices in those areas, like the locomotion and the where you feel like the, that you know you're weighed down with rocks basically every time you take a jump. Like that doesn't mm. really go away, but like they altered their strategy a little bit. So I think specifically of the first game where the, there's that horrible chase sequence where you're being chased by a spike wall mm -hmm. um, and you'll instantly die if you get caught up with. Uh, in this game, they 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 managed to have a similar type of section with a spike wall that's kind of coming and going from the right side of the screen, but you're, you're zipping down this rope, you know what I mean, rather than moving mm -hmm. laterally slowly. Like I found a way mm -hmm. to give you a chance to move swiftly and to feel like you had more agency there. And I found those choices really kind of changed my feel of the game. Um, there's definitely some aspects where like I was, and this goes in a little bit into sub weapons, um, which Leah mentioned before, like where mm. it was way more advantageous on, on some of those rope sections to have the ax and not holy water, because yeah. you might, I might be able to take out that fourth spider right away in the right area where the ropes down, you know, uh, where, but I can't reach it with the whip yet, you know, things like that. Um, but mostly it was just kind of, um, you know, you play through each stage three or four times and you start to get that, you're drawing that map in your head, right? Of like, I know this next room has this, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you kind of keep doing that. Um, but um, it, 
it was a goal that I kind of made for myself to try to beat it without uh, any save states, and that final boss is the only stop, but I can say mm. that I didn't feel that pull with the adventure. So, um, yeah. in just for my own personal experience, this game did enough extra, did enough of those of those second layer, third level things that the first game just didn't have for me to engage with. So, um, yeah, I find this game to be, like I said, not trying to sound like a jerk, but this game's fun to play for me in a way that the first one really kind of wasn't. I agree. <laughs> yeah, well, let's. Let's talk more about the the sub weapons because it's, with hindsight, it feels to me like this was a real egregious oversight from the previous game to leave them out. And obviously, we understand the limitations and stuff as such. But there there are plenty of other Game Boy games where you have say more than one mechanic, more than one weapon set, or you know games games that are more complex and sophisticated. And it and it given how kind of integral to the castlevania dna sub weapons are to to have left them out of the last game felt like it was really tying the players hands behind their backs to an extent because things like being able to yeah throw an axe upwards to take something out off a a level that ahead of you um is just gives bats are jerks and having a way (laughs) to deal with bats is incredibly helpful and satisfying Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah. same yeah, with I mean, those hand snake two... things and like yeah. <laughs> so much that those axes dealt with that in the adventure would have just been a nightmare. And I think it's, you know, it's not the sub weapons, but also the whip here. Like it's the same basic whip in mm. three parts. But I feel like here, when you get hit, you don't lose a whip level. Whereas in the adventure, I think you just did. Like the hand mm. things that if the balls hit you, you lose the whip thing and you hear a little noise that indicates it. But to generally just not lose your power every time you get hit is fantastic as well. Makes it feel so much more, well, forgiving that the game doesn't mm. just want to beat you into the ground and like try to force you to perfect it to actually manage to get through. Yeah, no, definitely. That's I, I, and there's only the two sub weapons. There's the holy water and the axe, uh, unless there's a third one that I missed, but I don't think there is. Uh, mm. And that's all you really need uh, in this in this situation i mean they could have put more Mm. in maybe but i i think that limiting it to those two probably allows them to kind of account for it and not make it feel like too much because i mean it's you know it's a much shorter game than most of the well than any of the console uh versions so um i mean if you if you gave the if you gave the player too much power it would probably feel too easy and i mean it's like i said this podcast is already going to be longer than the actual game itself which <laughs> yeah. i love it every time that happens that's great to <laughs> me but um yeah I, I i guess what i'm what i'm getting at here is that it, it struck a good balance for me that you know it was still as brian says fun to play but it 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 didn't seem like i was just walking through it equally the things in in this one like the holy water isn't the wind button that it could be in some of the earlier NES games where if you knew exactly when to use it, you could render at certain situations trivial. So yeah, in a way I was disappointed, but yeah, it's it's also like extremely specific. I felt very frustrated by the fact that the, um, the run up to the final boss fight with Dracula, 
gives you a holy water and then it's mm. completely useless against him. You cannot <laughs> yeah, yeah. hit him with yeah. that. And Trolling, I lost my yeah. axe because I picked up the holy water. I thought, oh, same, it's, same. it's probably <laughs> right. here for a reason, right? And this is going to be Dracula here. And Dracula's always traditionally going to be weak to holy yeah. water. Yeah. No, it is there for a reason. It's there to screw you useless. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, like, like you said, you're you're saying this. I'm going to say something that's a. Uh, I completely agree with that, by the way. But it's it's a little bit of a counterpoint leading up to Dracula. It seemed that there were a lot of those boss encounters or bigger um enemy con- encounters where it, they did seem well designed for one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. we were talking about yeah. the Minotaurs are like ripe for axe throws, and then the the knight you mentioned before that had the armor on it. Then halfway through the health bar, it like kind of sheds the armor and turns into the longer creature that can get more reach. That is very much like that one's spending a lot of time on the ground. So if you can, if you know where to place the holy water and what time, you can really do a lot of damage that way. Yeah, I I felt it was it was better. It was more well considered than the previous entry in the game. Um, but those those last those last two fights. Um, there's a really easy way to cheese the first of the two final fights. By the way, but um uh that 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 last fight i i'm not sure that that must have that must have just been a a dunk on the player right to give them holy water right before that fight i think it has it to had be, to but. have been yeah the the second to last boss holy water worked pretty well for me i mean it wasn't like an, a win button or anything but uh mm. it it i don't think that act well axis probably would have been okay but i holy water was at least useful it's nothing in the dracula <laughs> fight it is absolutely because you have to hit him in the head and you can't re- I mean I guess you could maybe hit him in the head if you aimed really well and were in a specific spot with holy water but um it mm. doesn't have the advantage of holy water which is that it will hit more than once if you place it in the correct location that that's just not a thing with dracula so you were saying Brian you can rack up lives mm-hmm. uh, the game doesn't limit continues I don't think and it gives you passwords if you want to use yeah. those which obviously Prior to save states, you would have loved having on your Game Boy. You can enter a series of codes, and there's a bunch of cheats which we'll talk about later and as well. I never, I never actually tried any of those. I would just, um, yeah, I would just save state from level to level, yeah, but yeah, then, like yeah. you know, on on my own weird honor system, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. Um, there are hidden one-ups though. I didn't find a single one nope. in the entire game. Me Two playthroughs, nothing. Um, no, I, I found a couple pieces of wall meat, but no. Oh, you um, did. I yeah. was, that I was didn't one find of my, wall meat. Yeah. I was going to ask that question. So there is wall chicken or wall yes. roast somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Whole, game. whole bird row. I would say wall turkey. This is what it wall appears turkey. to be like. Um, but yeah, Could no, I never found one of the one ups. And now after looking at these, that, um, the, the locations that you listed here, there are a couple of those, uh, towards the end, particularly in Dracula's castle that I would have loved to have found. So. I bet. <laughs> Yeah. Back to the back to the wall chicken for a second. Yes, um I well <laughs> I that was something that I I wouldn't say I disliked, but I I found to be uh, a little bit challenging was the fact that there, I never found any health within any of the levels. So if if I got hurt early on, that was just it. Like that that was, you know, where that's how much health you have now uh, until yeah, the end of the level. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that I, I just assumed that they did that on purpose and that there was Absolutely no so. help yeah. pickup. Yeah, um, exactly. So, wow. Hmm. Where are they then, Brian? So there's two <laughs> that I know for sure. Um, there's one in the plant castle. Uh, so I, I, I love that level. So, um, 
I, I started out doing that one first, but then I realized that there was a, but you get health upgrades. I mean, health replenishment in between levels, no matter what, which is good, but yes, um, it, it's right before the, um, uh, a, a rope. I want to say it's like room five or six. There's like a little ledge before the, you hop onto the rope all the way to the left. And if you whip the corner of that ledge, it poof turns into a wall Turkey. And then there's mm-hmm. also one in the crystal castle. Um, it is in one of the sections where if you, you can, you're on like those big square blocks that if you stand on for long enough, they break apart. There's a platform underneath it that goes over to a sconce, which you can get for a heart or a coin or whatever. And if you whip the wall there too, there's also a wall chicken there. <laughs> so yeah. uh, those Neat. are the two that I'm aware of. So coins are just points, are they? I think so. Sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. This game has a, a points system, a scoring system, a high score because it's a early nineties video game. Um, I can't imagine it's the sort of game you play for score. I mean, play it, play it, it for one credit you clear. Use, uh, but that's oh, all yeah, I know. okay, yeah, no, that's a good point. So yeah, you, yeah, if, if 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 the few extra coins could be the difference between one extra go at the final boss, I guess you would be would be uh, chasing those. So yeah, there's uh, six one ups hidden in the game: two in Crystal Castle, two in Plant Castle, one in Rock, and one in Dracula's Castle. Interesting distribution i wonder but, if it's kind of the i definitely thought that the plant castle was potentially the most difficult of them so giving yeah. you two extra lives in there maybe is strategic but then the crystal castle i didn't think was particularly difficult hmm. they're also a, a hidden sorry a hidden room or and or passageway in every single one of the five castles but while I found a guide saying how to get to these, it doesn't say what the advantages are. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone found any of these, but there's things like <clears throat> in the crystal castle where the eyeballs fall from above, climb any rope through the ceiling. Um, but then it doesn't say in the guide, like <laughs> there'll be stuff there or I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it tends to involve climbing ropes into ceilings um, but I don't think we're talking about like Super Mario Brothers style. Then run to the end of the level and warp to <laughs> warp to another castle. Yeah, uh, I think I, I, I inadvertently is. found one of those in the second area of Dracula's right. castle because I I, I got myself turned, also... turned around. And did uh, you? Okay, so I think this was also in Dracula's castle. It might you might I might be talking about the same thing. But this is the, the one part I felt so stupid. Um, but I I got stuck here for a little while because there is one section in Dracula's castle where if you climb up the rope. Instead of climbing down the rope, then you just get into a, a constant loop and you just, all you have to do is go down oh, the yeah, rope. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. But I did not realize that. So I just kept going up the rope and then I'm like, why am I not getting anywhere? <laughs> so I had look to same. look it up. <laughs> it took me a while to realize that you can uh, you could speed up your ascent and descent on, mm-hmm. the, on the ropes as well, which is nice. It's probably your, your fastest single movement in the, in the game, possibly in the Castlevania series up to this point. And as mentioned, extremely cool having the puzzles kind of based around that or the the gameplay based around it of slide down the rope as fast as you can, like time Mm. it and get past the spikes. I think um, the other thing, it's not not quite the the hidden levels or anything, but the the points where in kind of typical platforming game style, it's like you can go the slightly longer, slightly more difficult way around and there'll be an extra pickup. Um, And I, I noticed one of those, I think, right at the end of Dracula's Castle where there was what looked like quite a tricky jump between a bunch of ropes that then just led to one sconce at the end. And right. I, I wish 
I'd gone over and tried it. I mean, it, I felt like it would probably just be a big heart or something like that, or possibly mm. um, one of the sub weapons. And obviously, if you've got one of the sub weapons and you find another another thing for <laughs> yeah. it, it just pokes out one single heart. So I feel like there were a lot of times where I was just finding hearts, thinking, "Oh, that was a bit of a crap reward for that," but it actually was probably the sub weapon that I already had. Um, yeah, that's the problem, right? With those sconces not having the potential to have meat or a one up in them. Is that you might see something like that, and but if you've already got a suitable amount of hearts, you, you're probably thinking to yourself, "Why would I? Why would I go through that to potentially not get a, a thing that I that could end up screwing up your level run or whatever?" Yeah, yeah I was I was typically a little well towards the end mostly. I I was a little bit anxious about about being too close to a candle when I hit it because I was always afraid I was going to get the sub weapon that I didn't want, which was usually I preferred to have the axe. So like I I didn't want to accidentally get the holy water when I didn't mean to, which did in fact happen a few times. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got to the point where I would jump onto a, a ledge and see a, a sconce and be like, okay, well where that thing is positioned. I bet that's a holy water. I don't want to. I don't want to go too fast. So, I was um, kind of gaming that for a little while, I guess. Yeah, there's a couple of slightly dodgy spots as well. I thought the the bit before you fight the guy that I've mentioned a couple of times, who's in the big armor, and then sort of comes out mm-hmm. of and extends his neck afterwards. Like if you die before that and respawn at the beginning of that fight, you drop down a pit into the fight, and you have to time your axe or your um. Uh, your whips really, really carefully to try and get the um, at least the I think the first sconce as you fall past it is a a whip upgrade, and then I don't know what the ones beyond that are, but it's kind of like you just sort of mash the button. There's and a hope holy that you water get in something. there. I do know that. Okay, okay. So I, I usually got that one. I always went for the whip upgrade, and then it feels like if you get the first one, it's really difficult to time it so that you get any of the ones mm-hmm. after. And I spent a few times dying on that boss and respawning at that point and attempting it, but. Um, yeah, the the whole idea of like you're going to grab something here and don't even know what it is. Like if you don't see anything, it's probably just a coin, which is kind of largely not particularly good point to it. But there's another a mechanic that they actually use the sconces in a section of the game where it, it lights up if you leave the sconces yeah. up there and and gets very very dark if you don't. And I thought mm. that was really cool. Like I haven't not seen that in. Uh, the adventure at all or it took me way too long to figure out that's what was happening i'm like why is it getting <laughs> so dark oh right <laughs> yeah that was how a... am i supposed to be able to see how to get there <laughs> that was quite a sophisticated bit of coding i think for uh for a, such a you know an early game on on such a limited hardware did you yeah, notice that in that section if you didn't um knock out the candles you can use those uh, those things that kind of what would you call hmm. them it's like armadillo like, things um, uh, wood lice or like mealy bugs yeah. or something. But they you, are, you can use I'm them. I'm looking as... at the bestiary. They're called beetle or cave snail. <laughs> well, the beetle or cave snail. You can use them as a platform to jump on as well. Yes. If they're if they're not engaged um, yeah. by that, which is kind of cool. It just um, there's a one jump towards the end of that. You can make a lot easier if you're just hopping on top of that as opposed yeah. to the other way. Yeah, but yeah, kind of an just... interesting idea to put in the risk for award of like break the sconces. And when I was doing, I was trying to go through and get them all. And they tended to be like full, you know, large hearts, which is reasonable. Mm. Yeah, reasonable. But also, it wasn't too wanted. cruel about having like insane amounts of bottomless pits that no. you would just always fall into. 
if you made there the was at least content. one because I fell in it. There's <laughs> <laughs> at least one, at least one. But yeah, uh, not excessive. Yes, enough to teach you a lesson, not enough to really right, yeah. make you right. horribly uh, disadvantaged. There's one in the plant castle that involves spider ropes um, that mm. will be over a bottomless pit. And I struggled against that one for a while because I just couldn't get it right and, until I realized that I could just go back the other way that I came and have them all respawn if I screwed it up. Yes. So, uh, which I, I yeah, learned yeah, yeah. quickly after that. So that, that made it at least manageable. Yes, I've been also my my brain's been slightly scrambled with the slight differences between uh jumping and hanging and things like that controls from one game to another as i've segued from this to revenge of shinobi 2 and uh yeah come a cropper a few times because there are slightly different rules about whether you should be pushing up on the d-pad or right on the d-pad and which one will make you fall to, fall off mm. to an ignominious death and you know all those fun video gamey things <laughs> i was just looking at the the bestiary because uh i was seeing kind of what of the the classic Castlevania menagerie we have uh, and also amused by some of the the translations so Mudman is Mudman I mean the classic Mudman uh, we've mentioned Punaguchi also known as Bunaguchi the bat is known as Dark Bat in Japanese the raven in America is known as Death Crow in Japan <laughs> my, fa- my favorite one is Water Creep uh, is known as Fishman in Japan uh, but confusingly, the merman is somebody else is known as lizard, which is uh, <laughs> the wrong kind of genus, I think. Uh, the eyeball is known as big eye. Uh, evil knight is metal ghost in Japan. Uh, the night stalker, who's the sort of death looking person, is the same. Weirdly, uh, uh, I think this has come up before, but the, the skeleton monsters, uh, the, uh, the, the rope hanging ones that are kind of simian-esque, are known as cheetah in Japan, as if alluding to Tarzan, the the chimp in Tarzan being cheetah. I think maybe it's a, a relation, yeah, maybe. relating to that. Spider is spider. We mentioned beetle. Uh, the Metroid-looking one is Fornius in America, or Absorber in Japan. Uh, the rat in America is known <laughs> excellently as Goo Mouse <laughs> in <laughs> Japan. <laughs> Wow. What is a rat but a ghoul mouse when you think yeah, about it? Exactly. It's true. Uh and yeah, then we have the bosses. Um and yeah, we may as well use this opportunity to talk about anything further we wanted to say about these particular encounters. The boss of Cloud Castle is known as Angel Mummy. Uh that's the kind of all the lightning dude? Or the dude with no, the cloud? This, this is the, the skeletal head, bony neck, face in the middle thing at the face at the bottom the thing that has like the spines that travel yeah. from oh, one side of it That's to the it. other yeah. yeah yeah uh the lightning one is dark side known simply as lightning in uh japan i think makes sense a weather sorcerer and boss of crystal castle iron doll is the boss of the rock castle the bone dragon is the ground serpent and uh interestingly they went for a, a kind of a pun on clouds for some reason in the Western version. Cumulo and Nimbler are the bosses of Plant Castle, but they are now simply... they had a cloud castle right there. Yeah, Why that's a good they point. Put that boss in that place. That's very I true. Hmm. Uh, known as Twin Trident. It should have been Xylo- Xylem and Phloem. That's what they should have yeah. been. I'm I'm trademarking it right now. I like it. <laughs> 
and, and then obviously of Castlevania too. <laughs> those final bosses, uh, Solo Belmont and Dracula. So, yeah, anything anything further to be said on on the on the boss fights in terms of uh, enjoy enjoyment or lack thereof? I, I mean, we can just go straight to Dracula if you want. I think that it's something cool to be said about this Game Boy game of. of what you could argue is a system that is filled with games that have incredible difficulty to them, um, that each one of the, I w- like the sub boss or the bosses of each castle, um, I would consider them all f- very doable. Uh, and they normally were able to, you, at least I was able to figure out those patterns and to figure out what I needed to do within the life amount that I had. It didn't mean that I was always successful, but I left those fights not going, oh man, I just got screwed over by the game, but going like, oh, I know what I need to do if I just had that life, or like, I, I know what I'll do next time. And that is not always a thing you find with especially 8-bit and uh, older video game yeah. boss design. Uh, sometimes you just feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall, and mm-hmm. you get lucky one time, or, or you cheese the boss or whatever. But these ones all felt very doable and very learnable, which, I, which again, it's it's I don't want to say it's rare for games uh, of of that era, but at least... It's a refreshing breath of fresh air when you go back and play one of these, and you're like, "Oh, I can, I can do this. I don't have to be some superhuman bed and cartilage to learn how to do all this stuff." <laughs> you know, um, I, I can, I can actually, you know, recognize this pattern and figure it out. And I, I did appreciate that. I found them to be winnable and exciting at the same time. Yeah, yeah, same. Like as you say, up until the end, I think that the, I think the the one that got me most. Um, like earliest at the beginning of the game was probably the like the dragon that goes in and out of the floor and the ceiling and you got to hit it in a specific point but you've also got to be pretty solidly moving so that you don't mm-hmm. get trapped behind it into the corner of the screen um, but I feel like all of the bosses before that were pretty straightforward like especially if you go into them with close to full health and you know the fully upgraded whip and especially if you then have one of the sub weapons as well I feel like there's not really, you know, you you make a save before that boss fight, you're very unlikely to be doing it more than once or twice. Like, learn a couple of the patterns, just see how their movement goes, and then they're basically yeah. quite straightforward. Um, you, I mean, it's it's not the strongest weapon in the world, but you can also just use the like the fireball from the whip to kind of keep your distance in most cases, and just kind of chip away at an enemy. Um, most of the time, the attacks will come like directly out of them rather than being like sort of an AOE or something that happens on the other side of the screen. So I, I did feel that most of the first handful of bosses in the castles were all probably easier than I expected. And I think that they were probably easier than the ones in the original adventure game. Mm. It's just, it's it kind of really ramps up once you get to the last two or three of them that require quite a lot more planning and maybe a bit of luck to get through. But they're, they're yeah. kind of, it's it's a like a nice mixture of different types of boss in this game. One thing I will uh, petition video games to bring back is the your life bar and the boss life bar either horizontally or vertically right next to each other because it mm-hmm. adds that extra bit of tension like a Mega Man boss fighter like this. Like when, when both you and the boss are down to that one sliver and you see it right next to each other, it does it gives gives me that little bit of, uh, you know, oh crap moments of, mm-hmm. of just making sure that I I don't know what it is about just having them literally stacked one on top of the other, but it just like. I don't know. I I love the way that's set up and the way that feels as you're getting close to a uh, you know the end of a close fight. 
Mm. And the the only thing that I despise about that is the fact that you can see how much more damage the boss needs to take than you do. You know, when you're like, <laughs> you hit him like four times and he loses one blob, he hits you once and you lose like three blobs of health. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I don't think there's anything in this game that's quite as sort of just cruel as some of the stuff in uh, Haunted Castle, which was the arcade game we covered, mm. or uh, or even the adventure. Let's hear from uh, Psycho Hype from the forum before we talk about the final boss specifically and why why we all had to cheat on him, basically. <laughs> Psycho Hype says, To me, the key takeaway from Castlevania II Belmont's Revenge is that sometimes second chances pay off. After Konami's less than stellar success in porting the Castlevania experience to the Game Boy's hardware in Castlevania The Adventure, it's nice to see the studio gave it another shot two years later with Belmont's Revenge. It's hard to argue that almost everything hasn't been improved upon this time around. The character movement is faster, at least compared to the torturously slow speed of the original game. The levels are more detailed, imaginative and less generic gothic looking. The on-screen UI is better organised and presented. And they brought over more of the staple features from the other Castlevania games that were missing from the adventure, including sub-weapons. The introduction of the Mega Man style stage select option was also a nice touch. The developers clearly considered what was lacking in the former game and made solid steps to rectify its most glaring problems. Not only that, they did it while preserving many of the first game's unique elements. The giant eyeballs are back. So are the fireball-spewing pillars that, unlike in other Castlevania games, send their projectiles in a diagonal ricocheting pattern. Only this time around, you can actually manage to get around them without taking cheap damage. By almost any measure, this is a much tighter Castlevania title that might actually please some of the folks who had a sour taste from the first Game Boy outing. That said, compared to everything available today, it's still a far cry from the best the series has to offer elsewhere. I admit it still feels weird to play a Castlevania game with no staircases. Aside from all that, I really hope you discuss this game's atrocious Dracula fight which manages to be hair-pullingly difficult and mind-numbingly boring at the same time. I had to resort to a video walkthrough to figure out how to get through it. Um, before we go to Dracula, the part about the staircases, I never actually thought about that. But I wonder <laughs> why they went with ropes instead of staircases. It's just much, much easier on the poor little Game Boy, basically. That's, I mean, I guess, but yeah. like, I wonder. I just wonder how. I mean, I, I'm not expecting an answer to this. I'm just wondering, like, why would just, that be so much easier? Yeah, uh, just uh, uh, diagonal movement is hard, I guess, and I guess. Um, and animation, and yeah. I mean, they man, you know, they managed it on the NES, sure. so it, it probably. I'm sure, again. I suspect there are Game Boy games with such coding wizardry in it, but yeah, I suspect it's. It's, to all intents and purposes, it's kind of shortcut, I suppose. I guess. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of your actual castle design, like in if it was a real place. Um, especially, you know, <laughs> those of us who have very poor upper body strength. And, say, uh, Christopher, say, Christopher's got some arms on him. Yeah. I, mean, I, guess, I guess if you're using a whip as your primary weapon, you would. But, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, his shoulders got much bigger between the adventure and this one. So I think, <laughs> I think a lot of that, that rope climbing really did him some wonders. <laughs> I've never class. really thought about it before, but I guess that's why I have a flight of stairs in my house instead of a fireman pole or yeah, a yeah, rope yeah. to get right. between floors. Yeah. That makes all a because lot of, of Dracula. Sense. Uh -huh. Yeah, a greasy rope or a yeah. Um. So yes, Dracula. Uh. Yeah, I wanted to do it for real and 
honestly and properly, but I could immediately tell that the speed with which the spinny orbs attack gets dished out, um, it's just, uh, just I just found it annoyingly hard, hard in, in a not fun way. Uh, exactly the kind of not hard that I don't like rather than the kind yeah. of challenging I'll get it in the end because I can feel myself getting closer I can feel myself getting better this just felt like yeah this basically you've bought you've bought your or you you've received your Game Boy game as a present you know this was <laughs> the era when most uh most gamers were I guess the average age was considerably younger you probably uh you're playing this as a I don't know like 12 to 14 year old on average or something like that and so here's where you here's where you don't ask your parents for another game until you finish that one for for six months or whatever. If I had gotten this game when I was ten, I think I probably would have been a little upset. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. Yeah. I mean, eventually, I probably would have been into it, but I yeah, it would have been a little, little bit much for me. But um, yeah. So our our correspondent here mentioned that they had to uh, go to a video walkthrough. I didn't go to a video walkthrough. I did look at the same walkthrough that I looked at um, when I couldn't figure out why going up the rope wasn't getting me anywhere, just to see what it said about the the final fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had some helpful tips about places that you could stand. Um, and I, I kind of, by process of elimination, I I I figured out a, a few places that like were always okay to stand if he was on a certain platform. So it was just very, very, very scripted. And if you screwed it up, then you are a little bit screwed. Um, and it just, it wasn't fun. It was just frustrating to me. Yeah. I did a lot of quick saving yeah. in that it, fight. It kind of suffers from like every problem. He does too much damage to you. You have to hit him in a specific place and it doesn't do enough damage. The movement controls are not perfect and it's difficult to like change direction on the fly. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of the places that you have to be to not get hit by his his attack are quite a long way away from him. So the idea of like he teleports in, you very quickly get into position to hit him and then very quickly have to get back to a safe distance was so bloody hard, especially if he... In, like his teleporting in and out wasn't particularly pleasant to you. If he went in and it was like changed to the space next to him, it was fine. But most of the time, it was like he'd go to the completely opposite side of the screen. It would just be too, like, too difficult to reach him. And on top of that, with the thing that we talked about with the the holy water before, you're pretty guaranteed, unless you you know that you're going to go into this fight with a completely useless sub weapon. So. It's like it feels like everything's kind of stacked against you. Like I mean, it was kind of satisfying getting there in the end, even through like quick saving and quick loading. Um, the only thing that I felt was a pleasant surprise was that there wasn't a, another phase to it, like even they had in the original game. I like I got to it and it was like, wow, this looks remarkably similar to how the, how the Dracula fight in the first one went. And then after that, you had another horrible section where he's flying around as a bat, and <laughs> it was real nice to not have to do that as well. Yeah, with I, the same I, window, uh, the window that you have to just uh, to hit him as well is just so small. Even yeah. if you're in the right place, mm. you have like a second before because the the balls that surround him don't take any damage and block him from taking damage. So yeah, you have to hit him basically between the time that he fully materializes and when he he summons the balls. So um, yeah, it's I, I found that also to be quite uh, quite frustrating. 
I can I can do this fight without getting hit. The problem is, is that I no 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 it, <laughs> this is not a show off thing. Um, it's using the exact strategy you were talking about, Leah. There's certain spots in the floor you can stand when he's mm. at a certain spot. And you won't take mm. damage, but I'll run out of time every time. Mm. Oh no! I I could I could do that fight. We haven't mentioned I, the time limit up to yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. That right. this is the only time it even came into play in my um. And when you re when you die and reload, oh, this is a different case. In in the boss fights in the in the yeah. stages when you reload and uh after you die, it'll have a shorter amount of time. This is the same amount of time each time, but it. It doesn't, so, like, I felt, like, robbed in a weird way because, like, hey, I figured it out, but I didn't, obviously, because I, it wasn't within mm. the time frame that the game had uh, set forth for me. I've watched playthroughs of this now where people are doing it, you know, much better than I can, and there's a lot of vertical movement involved, like, jumping, like, using jumps to jump in between projectiles and going to where you think he's going to spawn next and things like that, but I don't, I mean, with enough time, on a long enough timeline with nothing else to do, you know, the the, the you know, monkeys type typewriter shakespeare problem um i could figure it out but it's not in the cards for me right now that's for sure does anyone think you're sort of alluding to it leah but if you had had this game boy cartridge at in 1991 to when you would have been whatever age you would have been uh, do you think it would have just been one where yeah you just like ultimately given up or would you have gotten repeatedly played the rest of the game so well and gotten so good at it that you'd keep getting to Dracula with an increasingly large number of lives and maybe eventually do it? Or is it just like beyond the skill ceiling that you think you could attain? I think for me, no. it's probably that one. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that it probably, I, I mean, I, like I said, I would have been frustrated, but I think that ultimately just because, I mean, I had fewer games then. It wasn't, you know, I, I had more time to, just kind of dig my heels in and play the exact same game over and over and over again until I got really good at it. So I no, I think I would have gotten there eventually. It just would have been um, there would have a, been a, a slog for a little while, probably tears and sweat and possibly absolutely blood. not me. I had that age swearing oh her head off. Yeah, I you know what? I I would have been like after two or three times of getting to the end. You know, I would have been like, you know, what's a good game? Tetris. I have that yeah. cartridge right yeah, here. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. You know, I I. There's no way my I wouldn't have had the patience for it. I I'd, I'd, I barely have the patience for it now. <laughs> so. uh-huh. Yeah, I would have been playing six golden coins instead. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't one. have been able to do this. I was seven at the time that this would have been released, so I definitely wouldn't have been able to do. it. I feel like I probably wouldn't have even got anywhere near Dracula, and would have struggled with it. Um, I was. Uh, I would have been about nineteen, and I would have smashed my Game Boy that I didn't have. So. <laughs> It's possibly the nature of that final fight, which I feel is a shame after quite a learnable, doable game. The fact that it's such a spike, it feels to me. Um, But yeah, there's a hard mode you can access uh, if you really want. But I I don't, I wouldn't. No, I'm good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) After beating the game, wait until the credits stop rolling and press start plus A. You'll be taken to the stage select screen and you can beat the game again with your score intact in hard mode. This means more enemies in certain areas and more enemies have the ability to downgrade your whip if they hit you. That's yeah. also potentially going to add to the slowdown. Like there was already a point yeah. where we talked about the hand things with the balls. And if you've mm-hmm. got both of the balls on the screen at the same time, yeah. it kind of stutters. And there was there was one screen that I found very late on in the game where there were two of those things together. 
And I think at least one of them was on a moving platform. They might both have been on moving platforms. And the idea of everything all moving at one point like that was definitely... like I, I was trying to murder those things so quickly so that I could actually get my character to move up the yeah. rope, I think, you start yeah, on. Down to perhaps single digits yeah, FPS but, at some point. But the idea of that being like a more common experience throughout the game, especially with the way that mm. some of the enemies move and stuff, like the flea things or the rats, whatever they are, that come out of the walls... And the little things that kind of stand there and then jump super high into the air and chuck projectiles around. I don't want more than one of them ever. Those are to be referred to as ghoul mice. Oh, yes, sorry, ghoul mice. (laughs) I I can't get beyond thinking of them as fleas because I know there's flea guys in other cosplays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghoul mice, if you please. It's um, um it's yeah. it's worth noting just just for funsies' sakes that uh those those wall rats were an entire boss fight in Castlevania yes, the Adventure. They the were. exact same enemies, the exact same like wa- yeah. uh, wall texture and everything. Yeah, I seem to have erased large amounts of that game from my memory, <laughs> other than the feeling of kind of wading through. Um, you'll remember the final boss because it was exactly the same yeah yeah uh and similarly save states were abused i'm sure um so yeah perhaps that's why they hid that hard mode behind a, a button cheat uh because yeah maybe it maybe it doesn't work very well but you know it would have been in all the magazines wouldn't it and people would have tried it out um yeah, imagine your parents. I've finally beaten Dracula. <laughs> I want another game cartridge. <laughs> have you done it on hard mode? So I think my my parents might have been okay with that, as opposed to my normal. Here's Donkey Kong Country on Christmas morning, and me on December twenty sixth being like, "That game was great. Can I? Is yeah, there yeah. another game now? Because I've just beaten that game." Um, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that. The, some of these Game Boy titles, I, it's so much fun to go back to, and I, I never. That's why I always get really excited for shows like these because to give me a reason to go back because it's not exactly unless it's like on a like readily available via the Switch subscription. Um, I, you can obviously emulate uh, you know any game from there, but like when you sit down and like have to focus on a Game Boy game, like you're focusing on just such a unique and different set of problems that most games have, and such a limited set of things that they were able to accomplish with this piece of hardware, yeah. and it's just. It's so fascinating to see, like, here's some of the, at the time, you know, I mean, arguably greatest video game developers on the planet, right? And here they have this, mm-hmm. here are your restrictions. What can you do within this closed little thing? And it's like, even, and a lot of times the results were not <laughs> not great, but it's really kind of cool to watch how they tried to solve a lot of these problems and, and to get to play through that from a historical perspective. Um, as a player at the time, much much different of a perspective for sure. <laughs> Yeah, like similarly to you, I think as someone who had a Game Boy at that point and absolutely loved it and was kind of obsessed with a lot of the Game Boy games and probably played those more than uh, the kind of the SNES and the Mega Drive equivalents at the same time, I've got a lot of love for this system. And it is kind of, it's, there's something that I find very impressive about how much they can sometimes pack into these games. But at the same time, it's like super quaint. And I know it's, we're talking about five, six years later even, but there's something about how basic like a game like the early um, Pokemon Red and Blue are. The, the fact that it all just kind of runs on tiles and like a menu system that's all just button presses. Like It, it just feels like it, it's amazing that you can do this with this tiny little thing that struggles to process more than like two moving balls on the screen at the same time. 
Mm. Like it's it's just to me it's like the perfect kind of blend of like nostalgia and kind of just impressiveness. And I think that that probably goes back to me being impressed when I was six playing these games at the same time. I will say uh, for listeners as well that the the Game Boy emulation that is available now on Switch is absolutely spiffing. Um, but I don't think there's going to be too many third-party games on there from what I understand. I think it's mainly going to be Nintendo stuff, especially with this compilation still being available. I think it's unlikely that um, yeah. the Castlevanias will get added to that, which I, is I've a even, shame. I've even heard, and not to talk about other video games during the show, but the like even the, the process of getting things like Pokemon Red and Blue on there are more mm. of a leap than you would think for yeah. Nintendo. You know, so yeah. like... It, unless it's an absolute, completely first-party thing, it's it's unlikely we'll see much of it, um, which is unfortunate. But um, but then again, there is. There are other. If ways. you're listening to this, you have a device that you can probably play these games on. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, conversely, the flip side is of the hard mode is there is an easy mode, uh, which is you can access via the password thing. Oh, it's simple, simply enter candle, candle, heart, heart. I don't actually know what it does. I don't know whether it removes enemies and maybe takes away the enemies that can downgrade your whip in which would you know work as a mirror of the hard mode as we understand it there's also a way to and i don't know if this works on the modern console or computer versions because it requires resetting the game boy but there is a software function to do that within emulation so maybe uh, you can play any castle with 10 lives so you enter the uh, there's an extra lives password, which is uh, candle, candle, heart, heart, which, yeah, gives you 10 lives to start with. So normally you'd start the game. But what you can do is you can start playing at uh, any castle, then reset the four, uh, press the four Game Boy buttons at the same time, then enter a castle password, which are also all out there, as you'd imagine. Uh, and then you can start at any uh, any beginning with 10 lives hmm. and hopefully save them all and more until you get to Dracula and then cry as, <laughs> as they swirl the drain. Um, three word reviews from Twitter. Follow us on social media at Canaan Rinse. Josh one-on-one says Christopher running normally. Cantonar's Ghost says, sub-weapons upgrade. Bearfish Pie says, Chris, second coming. And Quasimod says, Crystal Castle theme in all caps. Right, a relatively brief show for a relatively brief game. Although, as Leah said, possibly you could have finished it while listening. Apart from the Dracula boss. Uh, I'll go first with my summary, not because uh, I have any major problems with the game but just because it hasn't sort of um i think coming to it for the first time in 2023 it was uh you know an interesting exercise and i certainly enjoyed some of it the the really brutal difficulty spike to actually finish the game off leaves a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth whether yes whether i could have potentially theoretically with enough practice and time even finished that Dracula off legitimately. I don't actually know. It's pretty hard. Uh, I mean, maybe, yeah, I could, you know, I've still got still got con- control of my, my hands. So there's always the chance that I could have just 
got it all right one time, but I feel like it could have potentially been many, many, many hours and deaths and swearing and the, that constant feeling of the backlog growing as you play this 30-year-old plus-year-old black and white Game Boy Castlevania at the time. But up until that point, uh, yeah, I had a pretty good time. Certainly, it serves to wipe away some of the sour notes of the actual fundamental level-to-level gameplay of the previous Game Boy title. Well done to Konami 30 years ago plus for giving a different director and a different programmer and a different team scope to take some of the ideas of the Game Boy game, but also expand upon them and bring in some of the aspects of the the non-portable console versions that were missing. So yeah, and yes, remarkable work on the, the sound as well for, for the Game Boy. Uh, worth worth playing with headphones on even um, and uh, get the full stereo benefit. So yeah, it's uh, again, we've, we've said it dozens of times, but I'm going to keep saying it. The compilation that's available out there, which is now four years old by M2, is well worth having and this is on it. And so if you have that compilation, often available for $5 or less, give it a whirl. Yeah, it is. It is currently eighty percent off in the Steam sale. Right, three pounds nineteen in the UK. <laughs> that's incredible well, that's value. Seven yeah. games, is it seven full games? I think something like that. Yeah. Something like that includes yeah. our next one uh, that we'll be covering in the series, which will be Super Castlevania Four, which uh, which we'll be covering later in the year, um, which I'm very excited about because that was my I think basically my first proper Castlevania Ooh. that I finished on original hardware. Um, and yeah, it's a remake of the original, but a lot easier. <laughs> Probably why I like it. Anyway, that's for next time. John, how about you and this one? Yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised. I think going into this, um, I didn't hate the previous game. I'm Actually, if I went back and listened to the show, I, th- I feel like I'm generally more positive leaning with games than I am negative. So I feel like if I went back and listened to what I'd said last year, I would have been more forgiving than... Like in my head, I'm I feel like I was, but um, yeah, I I enjoyed playing that game as kind of a historical piece at the time, and as like the first um, handheld Castlevania game. But it is quite easy to look at it and realize that it has some some fairly glaring problems. And I was, I think, realistically, I was probably expecting this to be basically much of a muchness without too many major upgrades. But actually, the the handful of things that they have added to this, I think, do make it feel like a significantly better game. Like even to the point, it, it's not just the things they've added, like the sub weapons and stuff, which which do change the game quite dramatically and kind of change the the way that you approach encounters and stuff. Um, and add like an extra, you know, an extra level of complexity to trying to decide what you're going to do. But it also it felt like there were despite the fact that things are fairly similar in the way that the like the traversing through levels works it kind of felt like they'd i don't know it just there was something that felt a bit more fun and kind of playful about the actual navigating and i enjoyed the the extra little things like the spiders navigating their their webs to climb on and the the ropes that um move up and down you kind of have to switch between them which we didn't really mention and you get damaged if you get dragged too far to the top or the bottom and there's frequently platforms that you have to time your jumps to get onto and enemies and stuff that are on them it, it i think because the game felt a bit less like a slog to control and to move the character around and and to kind of just generally do everything in the levels 
like adding those extra bits made it feel much more fun like the the bit that we mentioned before where where you destroy the sconces and it gets dark like i feel like the way that the movement and the jumping precisely happened in the first game that just would not have been fun at all with that extra mechanic but here it, it really was so i think with the possible exception of that final dracula fight being arguably too difficult or like too unfair i think that they strike a much better balance throughout the game of it feeling like a a game that's less difficult and kind of more just just generally just kind of fun and approachable to play through and the boss fights kind of have all got their little separate hooks and as mentioned the soundtrack is absolutely incredible it's it's kind of worth going in just for that alone in some respects or at least listening to the listening to some of the pieces of music separately if you don't if you really don't want to actually play the game um and it has that thing we keep mentioning every time we do one of these that castlevania anniversary collection is so easily available it's on like every modern system and is frequently extremely cheap so there's not really any good reason unless you just flat out don't want to own it for you to have it and to (laughs) be able to try some of these games out and if nothing else they're kind of really interesting history lesson to see where the series went i'm kind of assuming there's a lot of people that came to castlevania later potentially with something like symphony of the night or super Mm -hmm. castlevania 4 when they got a little bit more accessible and a bit more complex um but some of these early ones are still way way more interesting to go back to than you might expect and i i never would have glanced at these game boy games if it hadn't been for like the the collection and the nostalgia that i have for the game boy so it's it's definitely worth your while to check them out cool well said john leah yeah i'll be pretty brief um i like this game I had not played it before, and I'm glad I I had uh, the incentive to for the show because I I ended up thinking it was it was pretty fun. I don't think it's going to be one of my favorite Castlevania games, but it's far from the bottom of the list. So uh, yeah, I it was definitely an improvement. If you played the first Game Boy Castlevania and didn't get on with it, I still think that this one's worth a shot, just because it it does improve upon so many things that were limitations or or potential roadblocks in the first game. And uh, it, it just feels a lot better to play. And, and it flows pretty well through uh, through the, the stages. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have other Castlevania games that I prefer, for sure. But uh, this one did a lot of good things, I think, and um, I, I was I was entertained uh, well enough to keep me going. And I I would say that uh, unless you are um, a weird masochist like Ben Cart like Ben Cartledge, um, <laughs> maybe don't do it on the original hardware. Maybe go for a version that has save states for the last couple of fights, if nothing else. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think this is worth it. So if you have access to it or are willing to seek it out, then yeah, give this a shot. I think it's a good time, um, even if it's not a long time, because <laughs> it's a short game. See, I uh, I should say uh, Ben did uh, supply a three-word review, which I, which I disqualified for not being a review of the game, but suffice to say his three-word review was on the list. <laughs> but I'll, <laughs> I was going to say, I'll... was it something about Bon Jovi? Because we're, we're fighting. <laughs> Oh, he doesn't no. know what we're fighting. Uh, my my partner has a, a 
a thing for uh, for John Bon as well, but mainly <laughs> mainly from from uh, like mid nineties era. Uh, that's by the by. Anyway, the point is Ben's <laughs> going to play this game and probably uh, once he see it. Although maybe that final boss will even see him come a cropper. He'll take that as a gauntlet, having been you thrown down. You just solidified it now. He will. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, there's that. All right. Uh, let's conclude with uh, Brian, who's really uh, immersed himself in the world of Belmont's Revenge. <laughs> yeah, that's a word for it. Um, I, I think this game's good. Uh, and I'm not sure that I would have said that uh, after playing Castlevania the Adventure again, after having played it in my childhood. Um, there was a couple things that I read prior to the show and, and, and some links that were provided uh, as part of our little research here for the show about like, you know, sequels and like what are good sequels to video games. And this game, this game is on a lot of those lists, you know, mm. good sequels. And um, so I started thinking a little bit about what makes a good sequel in video games. And, and now in 2023, we always think about iteration and how, how does a game move on? What's the new content? What is, what are the new areas that a game moves on to and, and how does it change things from the first iteration? And one of the, cool and very simple things about this game is that it was made for the Game Boy and there was only there was very very small window of actual improvements they could make if they were going to make a game of a similar style than the one they made before and i think in every one of those avenues they did that they they improved on the adventure in almost every way that that i criticized it on that past show and and i think that what you get from that is just a really neat 2d side-scrolling adventure game and going back to it and having the ability as as um, john said the, uh, having the collection available to just go up and pick and play it on my xbox series x right now and just go and play this game is so cool like like my my childhood brain wouldn't have been able to wrap my head around that that on a on a different brand's console, I was going to play a game that came out on a Nintendo Game Boy 30 years ago. Like, it's just, that's just wild. And uh, just the fact that we get to do that at the touch of a button now, I think is, is, is cool. It's very much worth the price of admission as part of that whole collection. And I think that what this game does, which a lot of sequels fail to do and even fail to think about, is that it doesn't, but, and I think probably a lot of this was due to the limitation of the hardware, but it doesn't take any wild swings it doesn't change anything fundamental. It just makes everything a little bit better. It makes everything a little bit easier or user-friendly, maybe, uh, either one of those terms. And save for that final boss, I think this game is a game that was released 30 years ago that's very approachable for someone who plays a lot of modern video games. And I don't think you can say that about lots of games that came out of that era. So if you have the collection and just haven't been playing the Game Boy games on it, I, I'd give this one a shot. I think it's would be well worth your time. And if anything else... You can put on the headphones and listen to that banger of a soundtrack. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Though it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, John, Leah, Editor Jay, our correspondents, and of course, as always, you for listening. Next time, in issue 577, we'll set sail with Spiritfarer. <laughs>